This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, January the 20th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Michael McNeely previews the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin. And Greg David will look ahead to the trends for this year in television. TV trends for 2023. We can only assume that number one on that list is uh, the emergence of Now with Dave Brown is the best show in Canada. We're already there. Let's begin the hour with the regional news update. Construction has begun on a project that will bring high-speed internet to more than 500 British Columbia households in six Indigenous communities. Improvements are coming to the Squaw First Nation, Cook's Ferry Indian Band, Squamish Nations, and the Upper Nicola Band. Minister of Citizen Services Lisa Baer says the improvements are part of a commitment to connect every rural, remote, and Indigenous community in BC by 2027. Chief Lara Mussel Savage of the Squaw First Nation says the need for high-speed internet became more prevalent during the pandemic. Over to the prairies, where Alberta Premier Danielle Smith says a committee will investigate how the provincial government responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. Former Reform Party leader Preston Manning will will lead and pick its other members subject to Daniel Smith's approval. The panel will take feedback from experts and the public before handing in a report with recommendations by November 15th of this year. The budget for the project is $2 million and Manning is to be paid $253,000. Manning and Smith have both been publicly critical of government-imposed health restrictions. Over to Ontario, healthcare workers from across Canada could start practicing in Ontario sooner under legislation the provincial government plans to introduce next month. Premier Doug Ford says the new rules would see credentials of healthcare workers registered in other provinces and territories automatically recognized in Ontario. We call these new rules as of right, and Ontario is the first province in Canada to implement them. A doctor from British Columbia, or a nurse from Quebec who wants to come and work in Ontario shouldn't face barriers or bureaucratic delays to start providing care. Ontario says the changes would mark the first step forward toward a pan-Canadian portable registration model. That one rolls right off the tongue. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, you're always digging into some numbers and statistics, and there's fun facts that you want to bring, and you've got a pop quiz for me today around the World Cup viewership numbers. Yes, I do. So a number came out a couple of days ago, and I saw this yesterday that um, was saying how many people watch the World Cup final only. Do you have any guesses as to how many people watch the World Cup final itself? Okay, we're talking like people all around the world, right? Worldwide. Worldwide. Yes, worldwide. Yeah. I'm going to go with 500 million. Uh, nope, it was 1.5 billion. 1.5 billion dollars. Billion people. Billion dollars. A billion people <laughs> watched the World Cup final. And it's funny because I actually think that the World Cup final 
was really entertaining and really fun to watch. And I'm not a soccer guy, but I, I really enjoyed it. So that's that, which begs the question for me to ask you, do you then think that this makes soccer the greatest sport in the world? No, but it certainly makes it the most popular. I don't necessarily equate popularity with greatest because there was a point where I would have told you that mixed martial arts was the greatest sport in the world, but it was not very popular at the time. And now with uh, some years of reflection, <laughs> turns out not the greatest sport in the world in America, uh, football, uh, American football, tackle football is the most popular sport in the country. I would lead a little bit toward, towards saying that's the greatest sport in the world these days. But no, Brock, I would say it simply implies that it's a matter of popularity, but it doesn't necessarily make it the greatest. What do you think? I would not. I would say that it's not the greatest. I would say that it is a sport that kind of brings everybody together for a month in the World Cup situation because we all have our allegiance in one way or another. For us here in Canada, if Canada's not in it, then we go to our allegiance and our heritage and all those things. I think it's it's the greatest sport in, in the sense of when you see all the countries kind of unite and divide when you're playing healthy competition between your nation and theirs. But no, I wouldn't say that it's the greatest sport in the world for sure. I wonder if I might take your question and flip it and say, is the World Cup the greatest sporting event in the world? Yeah, yeah. And that's probably more of a of of what we're looking at. And I think that's evident towards the amount of people that watch the final i mean that's you know that's a lot of people around yeah. the world to yeah. watch one of the same sporting event around the world so I, th I think the longevity of the events too the fact that it's a month long and there's essentially action every day for a month it's like it's very kind of overwhelming it floods the zone if you will that makes it awesome if you're a sports fan to take in all that consumption to get all those games although brock i gotta tell you man the first four days of the ncaa tournament that might be the greatest four days in sports because it's just a cornucopia of one and done tournament action but yeah but yeah I, brock i love that question and thank you for sharing that number. I guess I was a little bit off. The math wasn't quite working for me. Brock, uh -huh. what I can tell you mathematically is there's lots of sports to watch this weekend, including Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow. Really fun day that's going to be featuring some women's hockey, going to be featuring all seven Canadian teams in action. As you look ahead to Hockey Day in Canada this weekend, what jumps off the page to you? Montreal and Toronto. Mm. You, can, you can never go wrong with a Montreal and Toronto rivalry on a saturday night on uh, hockey day in canada embedded with a whole bunch of matchups so that's the one that is uh circled on my calendar uh not only because of my allegiance but just because of the historic uh nature of montreal and toronto that goes along with it they don't like each other yeah so. also it's one of these like no matter which arena they were playing in there's always going to be electricity but the saturday nights in montreal when the leafs are in town you get a lot of torontonians who make their way down the 401 or hop onto the via rail to uh take in that game and it's always a great scene in there uh yeah that that's that's a good one brock i think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity though that the late game is not going to be calgary and edmonton that they're doing edmonton in Vancouver maybe at the start of the season they thought Vancouver was going to be a little bit better but to me you've got to go battle of Alberta as the last game on the Saturday night to call to, to cap hockey day in Canada yeah and it's so funny because the battle of Alberta has used up their their amounts to play each other except for maybe one there might be one more game on the schedule but they played each other a lot in the early yeah uh, going and and I and I do I agree with you I think it's a misstep 
uh, on the schedule. I think they could have scheduled this a little bit better, but it's probably, you know, they, they feel the same way in that, in that Vancouver was going to be a little bit better, which they're not. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Port Calgary plays Tampa in the afternoon game. Somehow Tampa <laughs> got roped into Hockey Day in Canada. <laughs> Although if that, if that game is in Tampa Bay, lots of uh, French Canadians vacationing around Tampa Bay in the winter. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit, there's a little bit something there. Uh, Brock- there's always that one outlier of American that gets sucked into the Hockey Day in Canada. <laughs> And it's like we, one of these things doesn't belong here. And this year is Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we didn't even rope in one of the border cities. We we're like, no, no, no. We're going about as far away from Canada as you can get down there in uh, Central Florida. Uh, Brock, one more element to look ahead to on the weekend: the NFL playoffs continue. There's four games that are all interesting in their own way. We don't have time to get into all of them, but what's the game that you're looking at on the schedule this weekend that you find most compelling? It's not the one that you would think. Uh, the one that's really compelling to me is the Dallas Cowboys versus the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers. It, which, what's going to happen? Is Dak Prescott going to be really good? Is uh, Brock Purdy going to continue his his is trending in the right direction? It's just it's such a compelling game, and I love the fact that they you know put this as the Sunday night night game, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is the one that really kind of I look and I say, what are we going to get? And I look forward to uh, talking about it on Monday because I think it'll be an interesting result. Dallas and San Fran, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. That's going to be a good one. If only because San Fran has been one of these teams who've been on a real heater since October. They're on a massive winning streak, but they haven't necessarily played great teams during the course of that winning streak. Not that I'm necessarily referring to Dallas as a great (laughs) team, but they're probably the best team that San Fran has played since they've gone on this streak. A real interesting test. And the question is, can Dallas's kicker hit any field goals? Brock, I know you and I both have a keen eye on the Cincinnati-Buffalo game. Maybe that's one we can react to a little bit on Monday. But I would like to point to the early game on Saturday. I'm so excited to see what the Jacksonville Jaguars can do on the road in Kansas City. I am all in on Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville quarterback, being one of the emerging stars in the league. And I suspect he's by the time we get to next year at this time, he will be a consensus top five quarterback in the league. Now he gets a chance on a national stage for a road playoff game against a good team who maybe doesn't have a great defense to put on a little bit of a show. I want to see which Trevor Lawrence we get. The four interception Trevor Lawrence from the first half last week or the four touchdown Trevor Lawrence from the second half last week in the Jacksonville Jaguars game. I find this one strangely compelling, but it's because I'm a weirdo. Yeah, and and that was the one I was going to pick originally, and then I thought, you know, I, I just don't know what we're going to see. And I, and I ask you, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but I ask you, is there any chance that Kansas City loses this game? Or are we just looking at this and looking at this with different different eyeballs? Because to me, when I look at it, there's always a chance. But I think Kansas City is going to be going to win over and we're going to be playing hopefully at a neutral site uh, <laughs> the following week. But we'll see. I think I think there's a chance Kansas City could lose this game. The Jacksonville head coach, Doug Peterson, who has won a Super Bowl ring, he's from the Kansas City coach Andy Reid's coaching tree. So there's some familiarity with what Andy Reid does in terms of tactics and strategy. So Doug Peterson could be one of these guys who can maybe crack the code, but Kansas City is overwhelmingly better than Jacksonville. But I'm telling you, Brock, there, there could be some there could be some magic in the air coming from Duval County. Brock, have a great weekend. Have a great weekend to you as well.
That is Brock Richardson. He is the host of The Neutral Zone, our sports reporter, and at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy and there is a chance of snow today. The high is minus one, feeling like minus nine. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's snow and possible freezing rain off and on today. There's up to two centimeters of snow set to fall. Minus one is the high, minus eight with that wind chill. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's snow expected throughout the day with five centimeters falling. The high is minus one and the wind chill minus eight as well. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy with up to two centimeters of snow falling today. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus three, feeling like minus 12. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of snow or rain today, depending where you are in the city. The high is one degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's snow in the morning, then it's becoming a mix of sun and clouds. The high is minus four, feeling like minus 12. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with possible freezing rain or snow this morning, but then clearing up in the afternoon. There's heavy fog resulting in a fog advisory in the area. The high is minus six, feeling like minus 17. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with possible freezing rain or snow in the morning, but then as well, like Brandon, it's clearing up in the afternoon. The high is minus six, feeling like minus 19. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy in the morning, but you guessed it, it clears up in the afternoon. Three degrees is the high. The wind chill makes it feel like minus nine. Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy today. Minus one is the high, and with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 14. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, there's snow starting around noon, and then there's gonna be up to two centimeters falling throughout the day. The high is one degrees, feeling like minus eight. In Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy, clearing up around noon. The high is two degrees, feeling like minus six. And then finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and clouds near noon. And the high for today is six degrees in Vancouver. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll talk to you in a couple minutes for our roundtable segment, but coming up next, M. Night Shyamalan has a new psychological horror film coming out called Knock at the Cabin. Michael McNeely will offer up a preview. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. M. Night Shyamalan has a new movie on deck. It's dropping next month. Here to tell you all about this psychological horror film in preview form is Michael McNeely. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. So, Michael, M. Night Shyamalan, known for creating films that have lots of plot twists. Don't spoil too much here, but give a synopsis of M. Night's style. I see dead people. That's the general idea. But that's a plot twist that has been done. And we're probably not going to see it again for this film. But 
story of Knock at the Cabin. It's a story of a family who wanted to go somewhere in the cabin, and they're approached by four very medicine visitors. What do those visitors want? And can they get what they want without killing anyone? Is the question. Okay, okay. This is certainly um, a tried and true film format here. What do you think an audience can expect from a Shyamalan movie going into this one? Well, I think we have to thank Paul Tremblay, who is the author of the book that this movie is based on, for perhaps giving us a different, a different perspective on this tried and true formula. It does sound like a siege. It does sound like a, a hostage taking a summer cabin where you have to fight off the bad guys. But maybe these guys are not bad. Maybe these four people actually have a, a good purpose in mind. The question is, can you trust them? So I think M. Night Shyamalan is in good, good hands here. He's got a very good author that he's adapting from, and he can sort of go and take a 180-degree turn and surprise us with some of these character motivations. What kind of conversations are going on right now in terms of representation in this film? Well, first of all, we have Jonathan Groff from Glee and Ben Aldrich playing gay dads who are um, parenting an adopted child from China. Her name is Wen, and she's played by Kristen Kui. Um, in, in the book, she has a cleft palate. I'm not sure if I see that in the trailer, but all kudos to, to, the, to the actor anyway. Um, but it's an interesting disability representation if they go there. But not only that, um, the bad guys, the supposed bad guys, they don't care about the father's sexuality, which I would have thought would be the first thing I thought. Maybe it was a hate crime. Mm. But no. It's something far more sinister than that. Um, so in representation, I'm very happy to see a family, to see a family that is, you know, the norm in, yeah, in a yeah. lot of places, but we don't see that on the pit screen. And as you know, um, Jonathan Groove was in, uh, no, Ben Aldrich was in the film last year. Uh, spoiler alert. So we're in great hands with the, okay. with the actors who are out and playing gay characters. Right. Um, I think it's just really important to say that we're having representation where we're not about the gay, we're not about being gay, but we're about what are we doing in a society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, when we talk about normalizing representation, it's not that that becomes a plot point, it just becomes something that is. It's something that just exists. You exist in the world as somebody who believes in what you believe in or lives your life how you live your life. That's how representation is done really effectively when we talk about normalization. Michael, you mentioned this is based on Paul Tremblay's novel, The Cabin at the End of the Woods. What do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to adapting a novel to the big screen? You're correct. It's The Cabin at the Edge of the Wood. I think okay. you said, yeah. Fair I enough. think we, we all think it's The Edge of the Woods. It's an interesting choice there that we need to know. That's why those four people are coming. Um, so the the, uh, the film is takes place in the summer cabin, and ultimately, what goes on in that cabin they have impacts on the rest of the world at large. I think that's all. That's what we felt like during the pandemic. 
I felt like our homes were the center of our worlds. And so now we get to see that on the big screen. But I think there's something special about the cabin. There's something special about those four people. I'm not going to wound it. But uh, it takes on a very interesting turn. Um, but because of the small location, you can sort of, it's almost like a stage play almost. Yeah. You know, it's just, you don't have to go crazy with special effects in the cabin. What I called this formula tried and true, it's because stuff, scary stuff happens at cabins all the time in movies. I think about movies like The Strangers. I think about movies like Evil Dead. These are set at cabins. Michael, why are cabins so scary? Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Evil Dead because I've met Bruce Campbell. And um, there'll be a new Evil Dead that we'll talk about soon enough. But um, it's funny because they, they literally just went to the summer cabin for the first Evil Dead movie. It's as low budget as you get. One of your friends has a summer cabin. You just go there, make a movie. But ultimately, you know, low budget, low budget ideas still make great horror films because they actually work in practice. What's scary about a summer cabin? I think it's the isolation. It's the it's the lack of Wi-Fi. I think that's scary enough. Um, <laughs> I think it's just you know when I think about the. Vacations I've had in summer cabins, it's always the winding road that used to get there. And mm -hmm. you can't really get out unless you drive back out again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the same situation I can't in with this one. Isolation, isolation definitely like leads to that one. Michael, you've told me before that you believe that suspense horror is like watching a chess match between two sides. What do you mean by that? Well, here we have two teams. We have the parents, the dads and the adoptive daughter versus these four strangers. And one of those strangers is Dave Batista. So Ooh. get ready for a hell of a time. Um, and you also have one Weasley, Rupert Grint, as one of those other four. But if you're expecting Harry Potter charm, go somewhere else. Um, we've got these two groups here, right? So the family can do something to prepare then they're going to counterattack. Then the family will have a chance again. And then it's literally a siege. It's a siege on the cabin. It's uh, do we board up the windows? Do we lock the doors? Do we go out the back? Do we go out the front? And then the bad guys, suppose the bad guys are doing mm. the same thing. Let's uh, wrap up here, Michael. M. Night Shyamalan at one point was probably considered one of the biggest directors, one of the must-see directors, the star of Hollywood, the gem of storytelling. And maybe that's wavered a little bit in the last decade or so or the last 15 years or so. What are your hopes as you head into this horror film, another M. Night Shyamalan picture? I think M. Night Shyamalan just had a hard, hard uh, knock at it. I think he was never given the benefit of the doubt because... His first movie was Sixth Sense. He's also a person of color. I think uh, it was really one of the first directors I watched that was a person of color. And I think he's, he's made some flops. But who hasn't? Yeah, yeah. And we judge him harshly for the flops because we saw his greatness. But, I mean, just because you see somebody's greatness doesn't mean you're going to ostracize them and they crash and burn. I think he's in good hands with Paul Tremblay. I think... Mr. Tremblay would not steal him one with his representation. I was reading an article just before this segment that says that M. Night Shyamalan is a master of directing children. I could not agree more. And this, this Kristen, Kristen Coy, 
the adoptive daughter is going to be amazing in this, even if she doesn't have a cleft palate. And, you know, it's just, this is a man who loves suspense. I yeah. can't, I think he will be fine. I think he will do well. Even for the criticism that he takes, he makes deeply original movies, and I like to support directors who make deeply original movies. Well, that's the main problem we're having this year, and I'm going to try and make sure we have original films throughout, because this is the same year. We have 10 Marvel films, a fifth in cities. You know, all these things are coming back, but we need new IPs, yeah. and this is a new one. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michael, thank you for this. We appreciate it. No problem. You have a good day and try to stay out of the woods. <laughs> I will do my best. That's Michael McNeely previewing M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Knock at the Cabin. The film comes out on February 3rd and is rated R. Coming up next, we assemble the roundtable. Alex Smythe has a question about artificial intelligence. That's Now with Dave Brown. Or this is Now with Dave Brown. I suppose that still will be Now with Dave Brown. But it is indeed Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, is standing by. Alex Smythe has a question about the rise of artificial intelligence. Yeah, so uh, there's been a lot of discussions around the use of AI and, and increasing the use of AI within our lives. I mean, even on this show, Dave, you've had multiple conversations around AI even this week. So there was a recent CBC article talking about companies that use AI to filter job applications and how it can impact uh, and make things harder for people to get the intention of employers. So I, I wanted to kind of find out from everybody what you're feeling with regard to the rise of AI, are you excited about what can be done or are you kind of wary of the unintended consequences of this? So Rami, I'll start with you. Like, how are you feeling about AI and the increase of AI? Uh, yeah, we had a conversation. It was felt it feels like a bit of a prequel, but we had a conversation yesterday on the show with Christine Malik, and she pointed out a lot of incredible reasons why AI is amazing for the blind low vision community specifically. Right? We were talking about open AI chatbot. I might be scrambling up the words a bit, but anyways, ChatGPT and the um, example she used was description. So being able to get the AI to formulate descriptions of alligators or crocodiles or the CN Tower. And she actually read out some of those descriptions, which I found marvelous. Now, the scary part about that is um, how much are we going to use people, real people, to not just like describe for us, but to double check descriptions and to quality check things. Uh, and I think that's where I find like that first bit of fear, which is, are we still going to be able to use people? Because AI is now writing for us, it's describing for us, it's um, searching for us, you know, accumulating information and spitting it out. All that is wonderful. We're already using, you know, Google, for example, for all those mm -hmm. things. But at some point, we do double check, triple check our information. And I think the more, you know, availability of information we have and the more that AI can put all that stuff together for us, the more I wonder, but shouldn't we be using real people to double check this stuff? 
there's yeah. the concern around some of the biases that exist naturally within artificial intelligence as well. It can be very manipulatable to have some biases that are both racial and social and gendered that can be uh, problematic in terms of its broader application. Alex, the article that you shared from the CBC talked about the way in which some workers are being filtered out because of whatever bias exists in the AI, whether that be an ageism that it's looking for, whether it be other elements that it's searching for. So the AI can be tweaked in a lot of ways to be disproportionately impacting marginalized people. And that's a concern. However, I am one of these people who doesn't fear monger on the AI. I am a little concerned about the possibility of Terminators rising up and getting us as we give the robots more power. And there's robot dogs running everywhere that can now think and speak and do language. Like, not, not awesome, not the best thing in the world as we make these things more sentient and they can speak their own languages and we give them the capacity to run and shoot guns and be drones that bomb people around the world and broader conflicts uh, around the world. But that's me f driving into that fear-mongering side. There's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of potential in terms of the sharing of information, the analysis of information, the elimination of mundane tasks. There's a lot that AI can do for us if we harvest it but we need to make sure we're guardrailing this technology properly and not making it completely unregulated. But Alex, where do you land? Are you on the fear-mongered side, the excited side, somewhere in the middle? I'm definitely in the middle. I I appreciate both of your your arguments and, and your points because uh, you know I, I didn't even think about the increase in accessibility uh, that you mentioned, Rami. I think that's a phenomenal uh, aspect to it. And Dave, I, I appreciate the the uh, possible uh, possible negativity and and uh, fear that could arise with when we become too reliant on these uh, types of algorithms and AI for very specific situations. I think if we use it in the right context, things that we do not need um, a a kind of foresight or 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 creative thinking in order to uh, determine the proper answer, solution, things like that, then it can make things far better. Now, if we get into, if we go back to, well, job applications, well, those are notoriously subjective. Not everyone is gonna have everything listed in the exact way or format that you would want to see that that matches the description. But if all the, the right criteria is there, but it's written in a different way, does that get tripped up on the system? Does the AI reject it? and then you are no longer an applicant, even though you could be the perfect person for that role. Yeah. So I think there needs to be the human oversight on those types of subjective tasks that need to be completed because we, we can't trust the AI to do what we need to do because they're only as smart as we've made them. And so you have to program that information. You have to teach it. Well, that, that's how not to that's that's not totally true because these things can learn and evolve. They, like we yeah, might we, yeah we might start them somewhere, but they can evolve on their own. Yes, but they still need to know how do they grow and how are they learning the new information. They may learn oh well instead of this I have to choose X instead of Y, but you you have to ex also explain to it why you need to choose the X over the Y, not just, oh, in this situation, X. There's, there's not that uh, kind of the understanding of why. You can teach it, okay, well, in this situation, do this or that, but it's not the thought process of why this situation 
called for a yeah. different response. I don't know if you guys remember the story out of Google. I think it was 2017. They had two machines that started speaking their own language to each other that the engineers oh couldn't gosh. understand, and they had to shut it down. They had to pull the plug because they were like, no, no, <laughs> we've maybe gone too far with this experiment. Uh, Alex, this is a really interesting topic. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we got to leave it here for the day, but I'm sure we'll come back to AI as we move forward. Have a great weekend, Alex. Yeah, you too, Dave. Ramya, before we say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio? We have the app update with John Beeler, and he's talking about uh, one thing he's talking about is Samsung TVs automatically detecting text on screen now, and they're Ooh. able to move your captions over for you. So um, this is a huge complaint from the uh, deaf and hard of hearing oh, community yeah, like in time. general. So. Yeah, so this is great. And also Susan Kearney, finally, I hope, when she joins us, we'll talk about the lovely cranberry. We've been postponing this conversation for different <laughs> reasons. But anyways, and then uh, we also talk lifestyle with Grant Hardy. Right on, Ramya. Sounds like a great Friday show. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. Not tomorrow. We'll talk to you on Monday. Monday. I mean, you and I, could, you and I could talk tomorrow if we wanted to, but but we'll talk on Monday. It's okay. All right. yeah, we'll <laughs> That's Ramya and within the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. Coming up next, Greg David looks ahead to trends for this year in television. What's coming up in 2023? This is Now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You just heard from Ramya and within the co-host of Kelly and Ramya previewing their show today. That said, this launch to TV has been very exciting for them. And as a result, AMI has been doing a giveaway to celebrate the launch of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Greg David is a communications specialist for AMI, and he's got some details on a big, comfy prize for you to win. Hey, good morning, Greg. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? I'm well. So, Greg, I know Ramya mentioned this to me in passing, but I've already forgotten the details <laughs> of the Dream Big contest. That's okay. You've got a lot on your mind. There's, and that's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of synapses firing in this brain. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. I can take over for sure. So yeah, we're very excited to announce this contest that we launched with uh, Tempur-Pedic Canada in uh, in conjunction with the launch of Kelly and Ramya uh, kicking off on AMI-tv last week. And uh, and people now can enter for the chance to win a Temper Pro Adapt mattress. Uh, these mattresses are designed with one-of-a-kind Temper material to precisely adapt to your weight, shape, and temperature, which of course offers you unmatched comfort and support. And so yeah, the contest Contest is on now to win a mattress that is worth close to $3,000 Canadian. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm not eligible to enter, which was too bad, but how can somebody enter if they want to win this comfy prize? So super easy. All you need to do is head to ami.ca slash krcontest. So again, ami.ca slash krcontest. And once you're there, you can get some more information and you can also give us your email address, a little bit of contact contact information, and then you're entered. And we have had actually over 3,000 entries so far. Uh, and the deadline is uh, coming up in a few months. You've got until February the 8th to enter. So enter now. February the 8th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. Greg, yep. what's that link? One more time. People may not have jotted that down fast enough. Sure, for sure. It is ami.ca slash K R 
contest. Delighted to see that uh, Kelly and Ramia show hit the airwaves. They're doing a phenomenal job. Love tuning into that one every single day. Greg, let's move on to some broader TV trends. Looking ahead to this year in 2023, especially some of the trends that may pop up. Before we look ahead, I want to look back. Paul Daniel has this question here, which I think I might disagree with the premise of, because he's got this question that says, how has the TV industry rebounded from the pandemic last year? Greg, it was my impression the TV and streamers did really well in the pandemic era. Yeah, it, it was, you know, obviously when the pandemic first hit, everything was shut down. Uh, and that meant that there was no filming going on at all, really around the world. But what was interesting was I was looking at the numbers. And in 2019, there were actually 532 scripted TV shows produced in the U.S. alone. And in the first half of last year, so post-pandemic where everybody was back into production, there were 357 scripted television produced just in the first half of last year. That means that there were easily over 600 produced in 2022. And again, that's just scripted shows. So forget about your Real Housewives, your Survivors, your Amazing Races, uh, uh, you know, the the ups and downs of living on a yacht. Uh, this is just scripted television. So yeah, TV is back in a big way post-pandemic. Let's talk about some different styles that have perhaps emerged in the last 18 months and whether or not those may continue. Period dramas, Bridgerton, folks can find that on Netflix. The Gilded Age on HBO, maybe even to a certain degree, although it's a fantasy period, something like House of the Dragon. Does this indicate that we may see more shows like in, within this genre? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got the second season of The Gilded Age is coming up that tells the stories of lives upstairs and downstairs among rich families in 1920s New York City. So, hey, let's take Downton Abbey, put it in the U.S. in the 1920s and tell those stories. There's also, you mentioned Bridgerton. There's the sequel called Queen Charlotte that's going to be coming in, later on this year. And we're actually in the midst of the latest Yellowstone prequel series, which mm. is also a period mm -hmm. drama. It's called 1923 on Paramount Plus, and that's got Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford wow. starring in that one. So yeah, a lot of period dramas on the way. And again, you know, we're in the middle of season 16 of Murdoch Mysteries as well. Murdoch Mysteries. I'm even thinking about a show like Peaky Blinders, obviously, as a period crime drama as yep. well. Had its had its has had its moments and has its fans for sure. What about indigenous storytelling? There seems to have been a real commitment in the last couple of years to ensure those stories are being broadcast, certainly in Canada. What is on the radar this year in regards to indigenous storytelling? It's been really interesting. Down in the U.S., uh, there have been a lot of Indigenous shows kicking off, which has been great to see. We've always done them here in Canada on, on networks like APTN and CBC. Uh, but down in the U.S., uh, Reservation Dogs is a great comedy starring a couple of Canadians. It tells Indigenous stories from a, a funny standpoint, and that's available on Disney+. Plus, and there are more seasons to come in, in 2023 and beyond. Uh, there was also the cop drama Dark Winds on AMC, which is fantastic. And Amazon Amazon Prime's first Canadian scripted drama called Three Pines boasted an Indigenous storyline about yeah, murder yeah. and missing women. Yeah, and that's adapted from the murder mystery novels by Louise Penny. It uh, stars Alfred Molina, a big name right there, as Chief Inspector Gamache. He's a Montreal cop investigating crimes in small-town Quebec. And in addition to those shows, Dave, we've got uh, 2023 is going to see the debut of Bones of Crows. It's a miniseries that tells the story of an Indigenous woman uh, through the generations living before her and after her, and that's going to be on CBC in 2023. 
I made reference to a fantasy show before, House of the Dragon, the prequel to Game of Thrones. Last year, I also saw Amazon Prime throw a lot of money in the ring with their Lord of the Rings, yeah. uh, the Rings of Power show, which seemed to at least elicit uh, some positive response. Where do you see the fantasy genre going this year? Oh, man, it is going to explode. Like you said, House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power debuted to huge numbers in the U.S., as an aside, I liked House of the Dragon better, but that's okay. I watched them both. <laughs> so more seasons of both of those shows to come in 2023. The Sandman was a fantastic show, a great fantasy series based on the novel by Neil Gaiman that was on Netflix. It will be back for a second season in late 2023. And you should check out Willow. That's the TV series that was based on the movie of the same name, the late 80s movie of the same name, and that's available on Disney+. Plus. It was a hit, and it'll be back for a second season uh, late 2023 as well. When I mentioned those fantasy shows, uh, Lord of the Rings or House of the Dragon, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in budget to produce yep. those. What about the flip side? What about something that might be a little bit smaller in scale? Say the uh, a, a cozy British crime drama, as I've as I've heard it described before. What kind of programming are they talking about there? Yeah, so the the cozy British crime drama is where I live, Dave. <laughs> and so uh, it, it refers to British detective dramas that involve like a small town setting, often with a female lead character and very little gore. And in addition to a new season of the long-running show Midsummer Murders, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about on BritBox, uh, new Brit crime dramas that kicked off in 2022 that will be back in 2023 are Magpie Murders, a great little detective show show called Harry Wilde that was starring Jane Seymour as a female detective and a great show called Murder in Provence. So all three of those shows will be back. Also, there was a brand new season of Death in Paradise, which is a long running show on BritBox about a British detective uh, solving crimes alongside the help of local police in the fictional small Caribbean island of St. Marie. There's 12 seasons of that show available wow. on BritBox and there's a new one to come in uh, 2023 and there's also a spin-off series called Beyond on Paradise, which follows one of the past Death in Paradise detectives who returns to his small town uh, town in England along with his fiance, where he solves some crimes. So a lot of stuff in that cozy British crime drama genre. Greg, I've got to hold you to about a minute on this one. But stars like Gary Oldman, Hilary Swank, Colin Firth, these big-time A-list actors have been working their way back towards television in the last yep. few years. And that, that's part of a broader trend. Does this perhaps indicate to you that what used to be the desire to go from TV to film was the jump, that maybe the prestige has flipped on this? Yeah, for sure. And that's been continuing ever since kind of the Sopranos uh, launched, uh, where there was well-written stuff on cable TV that people would flock to. Like I said, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren are just the latest to join a television series. Hilary Swank is, guess, is starring in a great show on CTV and ABC called Alaska Daily that's been worth checking out. Jeff Bridges is fantastic, playing uh, a retired CIA agent in The Old Man on Disney+. And, uh, and Dennis Quaid has just been named to another Yellowstone prequel series called Bass Reeves. So yeah, big stars are coming to the small screen and they're attracted by great writing. That's what, what brings yeah. them there and keeps them there. Great storytelling. We're sort of in this golden era of prestige TV and it's getting harder and harder to actually go see movies in the theater because they last for about two weeks before they're <laughs> off to some streamer that I don't have. Uh, Greg, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad we had a chance to catch up a few times this week. All the best to you and the family over the weekend and we'll catch up again in a couple weeks. 
Sounds good, Dave. Thanks a lot. That's Greg David, communications specialist for AMI. That's all the time we have for the show today, all the time we have for the show this week. We're back on Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. It's Friday, so let's say thank you to the people who put this show together. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Ramia Muthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Enrica Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion-Jones. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of content development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.